Hi, and welcome back to Wait a Week Mystery. I'm your host and author, J.C. Bodden. This week, we have the next chapter from my novel, Someone to Watch Over Me, in which we are learning about Jenny O'Quinn and her work as a campus dorm resident advisor while she's working on her graduate degree. If you like what you hear and can't wait a week for the next installment, this book, Someone to Watch Over Me, as well as the other three books in the Devlin O'Quinn mystery series, is available in both Kindle and paperback format from Amazon. You can check out my website, jcbodden.com, that's j-c-b-o-d-d-e-n.com, for more information, as well as the link to my Amazon page. Now, I don't want to wait any longer, so here we go with episode 115, chapter 15, Accusations. Jenny's story. I wasn't sure how I had done on my exam. I had been fairly well prepared before I walked into class, but the picture of Amy Patterson had shaken me and my concentration. Thank goodness the experiments seemed to be going all right. At least one thing was. I waited nervously on the steps of the Natural Sciences Building for Carrie Wagner. Now, in addition to worrying about him, I had the added concern about Amy Patterson. I was chewing my thumbnail when I saw the patrol car, and I hastily pulled it out of my mouth and wiped my hand across my jeans. Wagner leaned over to push open the passenger side door. Hi, sorry I'm late. I got in and put my book bag on the floor. Officer Wagner, I don't really have much time. I've got to get back to the lab this afternoon. I hope I sounded professional. I don't think this will take long, and please, everyone just calls me Wagner. The officer part sounds so formal. As he drove, he continued talking. I'm sorry that I didn't get back to you on Saturday about the things that were taken. With the attack outside the library, well, let's just say it was a busy weekend for law enforcement. He parked on the street just outside a small sandwich shop. Inside, I studied the menu hanging on the wall behind the counter. I've never been here before. What's good? I asked, suddenly hungry. I think pretty much anything is fair game. I guess I'll go with the soup and salad. The order was made up quickly, and we took our trays to a table by the window. Wagner pulled out my chair for me, something I found both annoying and totally charming. Thanks for making this a working lunch, Wagner said as he sat in the seat beside me. This way we can get two things accomplished at once. Three, if you count having lunch with a beautiful woman. His knee brushed mine under the table as he adjusted his chair, and I suddenly had to remind myself not to be distracted by his perfect smile and warm brown eyes. This was supposed to be a working lunch, after all. Yeah, what exactly did you want to talk to me about? I told my dad everything I could remember about the attack. Well, Miss O'Quinn, please call me Jenny. Okay, Jenny. I was curious to see if you had any more thoughts about who the attacker could have been. I mean, is there anyone you can think of that might want to hurt you? Anyone who might... Wait a second, officer. Uh, I mean, Wagner. Amy was attacked, not me. I just happened to be there. Wagner looked at me for a full 30 seconds before he answered. You've seen the picture of Amy Patterson in today's paper. I put down my fork and squirmed uncomfortably. This was exactly the conversation I didn't want to have. My lunch didn't interest me any more. You're saying that whoever attacked Amy thought he was attacking me? Listen, we don't know anything yet. 
Wagner smiled, and I realized he was trying his best to reassure me. It's one of several possibilities we're looking into. You've seen Amy's picture? He took a bite of his sandwich. Yes, this morning. And you see the resemblance, he asked, wiping his mouth. Yes, but we have to track down all the possibilities, that's all. I understand that, but I think you're way off base. Have you talked to my dad? I met with your dad after he came back from the hospital. He was shocked, and more than a little shook up, by how much she looks like you. Apparently the resemblance is very striking. He didn't say anything to me. He asked me to talk to you. Really? This stunned me. It didn't seem like Dad. He was generally much more straightforward than that. Why? I'm not sure, but I think he thought that if he asked these questions, you would be too busy trying to reassure him. Huh. I took a bite of salad to give me time to think this over, trying to reconcile it with my image of my father. So, everyone thinks that, because Amy looks like me, and I must admit I can see it, whoever attacked her thought he was attacking me. That's one possibility, of course. There are two others. That the attacker knew that it was Amy and wanted to attack her, or that the attack was completely random. Wagner numbered these ideas off on his fingers. What does Amy think? We don't know, and we won't until she's better. And even then, you have to understand that in cases like this, where the victim was unconscious for an extended period of time, that their memory may have been erased. Covering your bases, then? Wagner nodded. Okay, so how about it? Anyone stalking you? Well, there was this one guy. I was joking, but the look on Wagner's face made me stop. What? I'm sorry, but I think that maybe there really is. Someone stalking you, I mean. Come on, I don't need you to scare me. No, Ms. O'Quinn, Jenny, here's what I'm thinking. Wagner leaned close and I felt his knee shift against mine. What if the stuff that's been going on at the dorm and the attack last night are related? I mean, this is normally a quiet town, a quiet campus. So what if the missing things and the water heaters being shut off and the broken window and the attack were all done by the same person? But the dorm stuff, I mean, the missing stuff, has to be someone who is inside, like one of the residents. I mean, they have to be able to get into the dorm, into the rooms, without anyone noticing them. And we really don't know how the valves on the hot water heaters got shut off. I looked out the window, away from Wagner's gaze. Maybe someone was working on them and then forgot to restart them or something. Like someone from the gas company. Yeah, they got into the boiler room. Wagner stunned me when he gently took my hand in his. We talked to everyone we could think of, in maintenance for the university and at the gas company, and no one had any reason to turn those valves off. No work orders, no requests for service, no nothing. So, we need to consider these other things. Is there anyone you can think of that would... No! I jerked my hand out of his and shoved my chair back from the table. The diners tur turned to stare, but I didn't care. I gotta go. I grabbed my bag and rushed out the door, Wagner following. Outside in the bright fall sunshine, I felt a little better. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Wagner said. I didn't mean wait. I flopped down on a bench in front of the sandwich shop and dropped my backpack on the ground. Okay, you've got me really scared now. Thanks for freaking me out. 
Wagner sat down beside me, his knee grazing mine again. Part of me couldn't help wondering why I noticed. Well, as long as you're not mad at me or anything. I looked at him and saw he was smiling, trying to cheer me up. God, what is wrong with you? I smiled in spite of myself. Okay, now that you're smiling again, there's one other thing that I'm going to say that's probably going to make you really mad, and then I'm going to shut up. You're going to make me even madder than I am now? Take a deep breath. I didn't. Instead, I felt myself holding it. If, and I know that it's a pretty big if, so if all this is connected, then there's one person who fits. One guy who could have done it all, who has, in fact, been there, or could have been there. What? Who? There was a brief pause before he answered. Joe. Joe's story. By his senior year of high school, Joey had started going by Joe. Tall and athletic, he had lost the lonesome, haunted look from his youth. His father had invested in a hearing aid, but Joe found it bothersome, so he generally wore it only during school hours. He was still quiet and reserved, and a careful observer of people going about his schoolwork quietly and keeping to himself. If asked, his teachers and classmates would have said he was a nice guy. His slow smile and gentle manner attracted plenty of attention from the girls, but he never seemed interested in return. Although he studied hard in school, he never carried much over a C average in his academic classes. His instructor in mechanical drawing during his sophomore year noticed his keen eye and attention to detail and recommended that he attend vocational classes. It was there that Joe found his niche. His natural aptitude in repairing motors and small appliances, as well as his nearly clairvoyant ability to read schematics, impressed his instructors. He was the top of his class in all his vocational work. In addition to excelling in vocational work, he played on the school baseball team. An assistant coach, whose sister was also hearing impaired, had taken a special interest in Joe and had worked with him to hone his skills, both on the field and in sign language. Baseball turned out to be a natural fit for the young man who developed into a reliable switch hitter. He made the varsity squad as a sophomore and was the undisputed leadoff hitter, hitter for three seasons straight. During his senior year, he set the school record for stolen bases in a single season. His coach always laughed and said it was because Joe was deaf. His skills in watching body language were an asset in learning to read the pitcher's moves as well as picking up the opposing team's signs. Life with his father's family was very different from that with his mother or at Twin Oaks Farm. His stepmother, while not actually hostile, was not particularly fond of him, and she tended to nag him about little meaningless things. His two younger half-brothers teased him incessantly, but Joe rarely noticed. Being picked on was nothing new to him, and he knew his place in the family dynamics. The younger boys shared the second bedroom in the small house. Joe slept in a tiny room converted from a storage area in the attic over the carport, which didn't hold much more than a bed, dresser, and a card table which he used as his desk. His father was a long-distance trucker and was gone most of the time. It was only during the relatively short periods when the man was home that Joe had any relief. His father didn't really protect him so much as occupied the rest of the family's attention. It was then that everyone was happiest. Joe kept in touch with his foster family at Twin Oaks Farm. Each week he would laboriously write Tilly a letter, telling her about his schoolwork and baseball and what was going on in his family. 
While he never lied about anything, he certainly left out a lot of the unpleasantness in these letters. For her part, Tilly wrote religiously, her letters arriving every Friday, filled with tidbits about life at Twin Oaks Farm. Joe kept them all in a tattered shoebox under his bed. Occasionally, Tilly sent pictures, and Joe treasured these more than any other of his meager possessions. One of the pictures in particular, with Jenny sitting in the middle of everyone gathered for Thanksgiving dinner, was his favorite. He kept it in a small silver frame on his bedside table. That concludes this week's chapter of Someone to Watch Over Me. Thanks so much for listening. To find out what happens next, please come back for episode 116 of Wait a Week Mystery or visit jcbodden.com to order the book. Either way, I hope your wait is a happy one.